Second Peter. We've been doing a, a series in Second Peter for the last uh, eight weeks, and today we're looking at established in truth. And uh, if I'm a little emotional, there's one. It's, it's like every other song and the special music was all just lined up with this because Peter in these verses he's talking. He's basically saying, "Here's why I'm always going to preach Jesus and the Word. Here's why I'm I'm going to tell you." The truth and Jesus. I'm going to speak the name of Jesus over and over again. We have a story to tell to the nations. Um, and then as we were, we were sitting there, my son's sitting next to me, totally unprompted. He's sitting next to me, looks at me, and he just starts really excited, going, like, Daddy, you're a daddy. You're a daddy? And someday, I'm going to be a daddy, just like you. And, <laughs> and it's like, mm, mm, mm. I just <laughs> So if I'm a little... A little more emotional this morning. This is why. Um, so we're, we're looking at established in the truth. And what I want to ask here to start off with is, have you ever been blind to the truth? Have you ever had a time where there was, the, the truth was right in front of you, but, but you couldn't see it? And this is a common thing, especially about the truth today. About what, what is right and what is wrong and what is true. And we, many are blind to these things. Sometimes we're blind to these things. And, and I've found that um, video games and especially virtual reality uh, illustrate this, this interaction, this blindness uh, really quite well. And uh, there's a story called Ready Player One. It's a book and a movie. And it, it's, it's all about virtual reality. And it imagines a, a not too distant future where almost everyone spends most of their day in virtual reality. And so they, they wear a mask or a helmet that basically when they're, that's how they get into the game. It, it could, shows everything that they see and hear to be part of this game. And of course, the story has, has a heroic young man who's you know, in, in an evil corporation struggling to take control of the game. And, but there, there's two ways that virtual reality in this story illustrates being blind to the truth. And, and the first way is the, the hero. He's, he's in the game, he's on virtual reality, and it looks... And from the audience, it looks really silly because he's got the mask on and you see him, it's like he's waving at, you know, at shadows, at thin air, <laughs> at, at nothing. He's, he's, he's in the game. But what he doesn't know is that the, corporate, the evil corporation has sent thugs in the real world to his home to stop him. He, because he is blind to the dangers in the real world because all he can see at that time is what the mask is showing him. The other example is is when the heroes, the group of them, they, they hijack the villain's mask while he's in virtual reality, and they change, they control what, it, it, what the mask is showing so that he thinks he has now left the game and is safely back in reality. And they do this so they can give him, he can give up a secret because he thinks he's safely back home. Um, so both of these, and maybe that was a lot to, to explain, but in both cases, someone either is blind to a real danger because they, they're, in an alt, they're believing they're living in a different reality. Or that another person, his reality has been manipulated so that he does something foolish. And this is what we find here, that, that like this, when we, when we are deceived, when we're looking at things that are not real, trusting things that aren't really there, or not what they appear to be, then we become blind to real dangers and we can be manipulated into doing foolish or even wicked things. And that's the, 
what the world around us is trying to do is trying to act like that, that virtual reality to make things, to put things into the world and just keep them there, barrage them there so that they become, we just get used to them. Oh, they're just always there and that we stop, for, we stop realizing that they are wrong because they're just always there. Now in 2 Peter verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 21, these are verses today, and in these verses, the apostle Peter reminds Christians of the certain truth you have from God and that this truth is your light in dark places. Before we read, let's pray. Lord, bless this reading of your word. May our hearts and minds be attentive to it, to understand it, and to live by it, and to, to draw near to you. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. So 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it's right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in the first part of those verses, 12 through 15, Peter, he explained why he continually reminds believers of all the things he had taught previously, all the, basically the things we covered over the last eight weeks. <laughs> um, and, and particularly, he, want, he says, I'm going to remind you of these qualities. And these qualities are the ver from verses 5 through 7. And he says the qualities are their, their virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And he says to his audience, he's talking to believers, he said, you are already established in the truth. They're already, so he's talking to believers like us. And, and like them, we need reminders so that we live according to this truth. So we keep it foremost in our minds and we live by it. And there's, there's three essential truths to remember here that, that Peter's referring to. And then you'll, they'll sound familiar to, if you've been here the last eight weeks, they'll sound quite familiar to you. And the first is, remember that you have been rescued from sin. 
Remember that you have been rescued from sin. Secondly, remember that you are rescued by Jesus Christ. And third, remember that you are rescued for righteousness. And when you forget these things, these three fundamental things, well, then the world starts to corrupt your perception. It start, the, deceit, the deceptions start to creep in again, and sin sneaks back in again. And, and going back to the, the video game or the virtual reality illustration, usually, very often in these games, they will, they will highlight enemies in red and, and friendlies in green so that you as the player know, okay, you know, well, that is a threat. Oh, don't hurt your friend, you know, in, in the game. So they, these are highlighted for you so that you know what's, what is an enemy, what is a friend. And what sin and, and deception do is they blur that reality so that you can't tell who is friend or foe anymore, what is right, what is wrong. And they corrupt your perception. So by remembering the truth, we see things clearly. And there's a verse here I want to read that summarizes all these things and how they relate. And it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 9 through 11 says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And, and the, the core of that, that verse there is, such were some of you, but not anymore. So always remember, you, you were a sinner, but now you are saved by Jesus. So remember the sin you were saved from, and the holiness that you are saved for. And then these reminders then, why does Peter keep, Peter keep reminding us of this? Well, these reminders, he says, I, I want to stir you up. And so we, we think, go, let's go over to cooking then with, with this idea of stirring, right? So stirring, so I was thinking here, okay, stirring, like if I'm stirring up a chili or a stew, you know, if I'm stirring all those ingredients around, mixes all the flavors together. But if I don't stir it and I let it just be sit cold for a long time, it's going to settle, right? It's all going to settle and, and into layers. But if I keep it cooking and I keep it stirring, then the flavors saturate every corner of it. So Peter, he, he's, he is stirring up you. He's stirring up believers to holiness so that the, the flavor of Christ's righteousness will saturate into every corner of your life. So this is why Peter, he, he reminds us of these things. Peter then goes on in the next verses to reassure believers of the certainty of the truth that we have from God. And Peter pointed to two things. First, he, he points out that the events of Scripture are not myths, but they are God's acts in history recorded by those who witnessed them. And secondly, the teachings in Scripture are inspired by God. Listen again to verses 16 through 18. 
For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So Jesus Christ came with power, says he's coming with his coming and power to show us the light of the knowledge of God, to show us the truth, to save us from sin, to make us children of the light. And Peter witnessed this coming in power of Christ firsthand. And the event he's referring to here is, is known as the transfiguration, and it's recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in those events, Peter and James and John, they go up with Jesus to the top of a mountain, and there before them, they, they see the glory of God in Jesus, and they see the, the, the spirits of Elisha and Moses talking to Jesus, and they hear the voice of God confirming Jesus as his divine son. So he's claiming here, he's, he's saying these gospels of Jesus, they are not legends made up later to embellish a sad martyr story. They are, they are the events that convinced the apostles that Jesus was truly the Messiah promised by Scripture and sent by God. Now people in that day, you know, it was great for them. They had direct contact with, with the apostles and the eyewitnesses. You know, and, and so they could talk to the apostles and, and the over, over 500 witnesses who saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. So they, they had that first contact. Well, so how can we be so sure of God's word? Well, J. Warner Wallace, he, he asked this question and he analyzes the gospels particularly in his book, Cold Case Christianity, cold case Christianity. And I'm, I'm just gonna summarize four of his points. If, if you want to know his specific arguments, uh, ask me for the book and I'll loan it to you. Uh, they're really good, I wish I could say more. Um, but for time, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna summarize his four points here. So he asks himself, it, it, are the gospels as eyewitnesses, are they reliable? And he applies four tests to the ancient manuscripts that we have of scripture. And he, first he asks, are they timely? Meaning, were they written within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses? And the answer is yes. The most reasonable explanation of what we find is that they were written early enough to be written by the eyewitnesses. And there's many reasons for this. One of those reasons is that later historical events, like the destruction of Jerusalem or the death of of the apostles Peter or Paul or John are not recorded. And if the gospels had been written later than after those events, they certainly would have recorded them. So those are big indicators, but the, and there's many more. To, to learn the more, ask me for the book. <laughs> uh, secondly, are, they, are the gospels verified? Meaning, are, are they corroborated by other non-Christian outside historical sources? Yes. The life and death of Jesus is the most historically corroborated event in ancient history. He's, we have more confirmation of the life of Jesus than we have of Julius Caesar. 
which is saying something. So, <laughs> um, but it, not just that. Furthermore, when we look at just verifiable, verifiable things, the dates of Roman history, unique tidbits of, of culture and life in that time that we find in the Gospels, we find that they're unique to that time and that only a person living in that time could have written these because it, it, it's so unique to that time period. Third question, are our copies accurate? Do, do we have reason to believe that the copies we do have are accurate to the original copies? Because full disclosure, we don't have that original copy you know, that written by Matthew's own hand or, or Luke's own hand. You know, we don't have that original copy. What we have are the copies made by their disciples in the later church. So how confident can we be that our copies are accurate? Well, first of all, we know who the disciples of John were, who the disciples of Peter were, who the disciples of Paul were. We know that first generation of those disciples right after the apostles who, who studied directly under them. And we have their writings. And we have the, the next, you know, and then down to the next disciple and the next disciple and the next for hundreds of years afterwards. And all of them, right up to that very first disciple of the apostle, he confirms the content of the scriptures we have and that they're written by the apostles. And we, we just have no evidence of anything else to the contrary. So if anyone would suggest there, oh, well, the scriptures were changed later, some important person or some big institution or some Roman emperor changed the scriptures to suit themselves there's just no evidence for that because what we have is matches the copies right up to that first generation of disciples. So there's, there's just no place, time in history where you know, deliberately altering it would have ever happened. Also, you know, we've, we, the copies of manuscripts we have, we have copies as close as 35 years from the life of the apostles. That, that's one generation. And, they, and those, what, those match what we have. So that means, again, that there's just no, there's no space, there's no time where someone would have deliberately changed it, altered it. We also, when you just look at the bulk of what we have, there's over 24,000 copies of the New Testament in ancient manuscripts. And this is exponentially more than any other ancient document. You look at Socrates, the Greek documents, they have... 500 copies, 600 copies. You look at ancient Hindu documents, same thing, 600 copies. And most of those have anywhere between 10 to even 20% discrepancies between their copies. With 24,000 copies of the New Testament, there is only a 0.2% difference, variance between the copies. It's, infinitesimally small. And most of those differences are their spelling of words and punctuation. And as some people do, they're troubled by the fact that here and there you will find a phrase in one copy that's not in another. Yeah, yeah we, you find a phrase that's in one and not in another. But not one of those phrases affects a doctrine of Christianity. Now, not one teaching a doctrine of Christianity is built on, one of the, on a phrase we find only in one document. It doesn't end up changing anything. So the end, the end conclusion is that the Bible is the most reliable ancient document that exists. What we have is what the apostles wrote. 
And then the fourth test is, should we, tr should we trust these eyewitnesses? Are the apostles trustworthy eyewitnesses? Did, did they possibly have any ulterior motive to, to lie or embellish or deceive? And, and there's just no evidence of it at all. They, did, they didn't gain any wealth. Every one of them died or was willing to die for it, to keep it, to hold to this. And furthermore, when you look at in the Gospels, the apostles are not the heroes. You know, if, if they wrote this and it was a lie, they, you know, they would, they would have made themselves the heroes, right? They wouldn't have shown how, what fallen, broken, horrible people they were. Instead, you see, no, they were broken people who needed God to bring them to faith and to bring them to salvation, just like us. So these men, they, they recorded how God supernaturally intervened in human history. And then they lived and they died like people to whom that had really happened. So we can be confident that we have the truth from the eyewitnesses. And Peter's second reassurance to establish in the truth is that scripture is inspired by God. And let's listen to verses 20 and 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And these verses, they're the clearest summary of inspiration. One of the clearest. And so, which means that the teachings of Scripture, they're not just some ancient guy's opinion from that time. That the truth didn't originate in this prophet's mind or that prophet's mind. That, that, that truth the source of that teaching, of, of each word, is God. As it says, men were carried along by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. God revealed it to them. What all this means then is that Scripture is divine truth. And Peter says this divine truth is more fully confirmed for, for us. It's, it's not more or less true by histor historical events, but it's great for us, it's confirmed for us by God acting in history. And God acted from history from, from Abraham to Moses to David to Isaiah to Jesus coming in power. And the point of all this then is verse 19. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So God's word is a lamp shining in a dark place. It's more than just a lamp guiding you along a dark path, showing you the way. It says it is a light in a place marked by darkness. It shows you how dark that place really is. And it shows you the way out. Jesus came to show us the truth, to show us how dark we really are and how good God really and truly is. And the first place this lamp shines is the dark place of our own hearts. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 2 through 6 and, and, and look for the parallels between here and 2 Peter. But we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. 
but by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Like at the beginning, we talked about that, that virtual reality mask deceiving to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And verse, that final verse there, it's for, first of all, it's referring to God's act in creation. In darkness and emptiness, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and it shone. But it also says the same God has shone in the dark place of our hearts. Because before we knew Christ, before we came to God, our hearts were a dark place that did not know God and could not find him. But he reveals himself to us through his word, and he sent Jesus to show himself to us to shine the light of the knowledge of the glory of God into our dark hearts so whatever darkness you are dealing with Jesus is the light that brings freedom to your heart and truth he came with power to set people free from the darkness inside themselves and to bring his light where there was no light and that light still shines today it still shines in people's hearts through the word of God. It shows us our true condition, and it shows us the true nature of the God who loves us. And it shows us the power and the grace of God that saves us. And this lamp also shines in the dark place of the world. Because when we look at the world around us, it is, it's getting dark. It's a spiritually dark time where truth is confused and corrupted, and we watch as powers and systems become more corrupted, and it becomes darker for everyone living under them. But even in this present darkness, we have the light of truth. Scripture is the light when all other lights go out. By it, we see everything else rightly. So pay attention to this light. Focus on it. Take care to, to read it with care. Commit to following it. Gobble it up and fill your life with the light. And remember these things. Remember that, that Christ has come with power to set you free. Every word of Scripture is divine truth from God and is light for your life. In Jesus, God has granted you everything needed for life and godliness. So let this truth, let it stir you up to love and to good works. And set your hope on Jesus' eternal kingdom that he is bringing until the, the day dawns, as it says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Because Jesus is coming again. He's bringing his kingdom and his light's going to shine everywhere. We won't need a lamp anymore because it will be the day. Right? You don't need a lamp in the daytime. And his light is going to fill every corner of creation. And when you feel overwhelmed by the darkness, around you. Remember these words from John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. 
Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for this reminder to stir us up to faith and to following you and to cling and hold to the truth and to remember the truth we have from you and to remember Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior and to keep him always before us. Pray that every heart and mind here that you would sanctify us in your truth, that we would turn our hearts to you and that we would cling to you and follow you and be and shine your light, the light of Jesus to the world around us. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.